So uh, Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15 says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. By the cross. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to just explore that briefly uh, together. Um, most of you know that I turned 30 at the end of May. And um, yes, I know I don't look it, do I? Thank you. And um, I've noticed a slight paradox that as I get older and more mature, um, the, thank you, the birthday cards I receive get less mature. So uh, it's obviously that the done thing now, that when you hit 30, there are lots of cards telling you that you're no more just over the hill. There is a different hill now you've started up, uh, that your middle-aged spread has begun. And, and to be honest, I have to say it was a fairly depressing mix of messages as I reached what I thought was maturity. And so I hinted at the fact that lots of Christians, I think, think that baptism is a point somewhere in the future where I've reached full maturity and where, you know, it's right now for me to show everyone how mature I am in the faith by being baptised. Um, now, there's an element of truth to that, which this video I'm about to show you, hopefully, uh, is going to illustrate. That It is important that there's a slight level of maturity as you come to baptism, but we're going to explore a little bit about what baptism is about and the good news of Jesus Christ as a result. So, if you can see the screen, um, hopefully there'll be sound as well. Uh, this is maybe how not to do baptism. Where people have no choice but to forgive him. Who says you can't laugh in church? <laughs>
Just in case you didn't catch either the words or the actions, the boy bombed in. Before his baptism, he bombed into the pool. Um, make up your own mind whether that's an acceptable way of entering the baptismal pool. I'll give you a clue. No. Um, but secondly, you may have heard the pastor at the end say, I've been a pastor 25 years, and that is a first, and I guarantee that will be a last. Now, I don't know about you, part of me looks at that and I immediately think, I wish that had been Jeff the pastor. <laughs> I can imagine the strong words being spoken. But what's interesting is that initially I looked at it and thought, you know what, that kid is so immature. How does he do that? This is a moment in, in, in time where we're, we're modelling what Christ went through. We're, we're not just having some kind of bath. This is about aligning myself as, as Jesus died with that death and claiming it for myself and coming to new life. And yet he's bombed in. Part of me looks at him and thinks, how could he? The church are watching, looking at this step of faith he's about to go on. And he's bombed in and the church are kind of laughing. And I think, how could you? And yet, and yet, there is a small part of me that thinks the challenge we have about coming like a child. Um, I'm not suggesting it means bombing. But, but he was all in. You could say he was very keen to get baptised, so much so that he did it himself. Um, but he was very keen. And I want to try and challenge us a bit to, to think about our position with, with, with God today. I'm going to be really blunt at the start. If you're here this evening and you don't yet know God, I'm going to challenge you uh, that, that you are missing out, my friends, on, on a life that God has created you to live. Um, if you're here and you're a Christian, but you've not yet considered baptism for yourself, I'm going to challenge you that you are missing out, my friends. Uh, because this is a, a way that we live for God fully and we show the world our love of him as testified to already. And if you're a Christian who has been baptised, I'm going to challenge you that you are missing out, my friends. Because there is always something new to learn about our glorious Saviour. And we're going to look at that briefly uh, through the book of Colossians. Now, you may have heard the slight titter of laughter as I said that at 30 I've reached maturity. The church know me very well. But there was another moment in my life uh, where I was definitely told I had reached Maturity. Some of you have heard the story loosely before that in year six, I became mature because my girlfriend, Faye Wiggett, told me I was mature. This maturity kind of showed itself in various ways. Uh, Faye Wiggett told my friends that I was too mature now to play football at lunchtime because I had to sit with her and her friends in quietness, listening to her and her friends talk about mature girl things. Maturity had reached a point for me when I knew I had to stand outside the, the girls' loo for half an hour while the girls went inside and put on their little Barbie blusher they'd got in teenage magazines. Um, I realised that I was mature because I was told that I couldn't sit with my immature boyfriends at lunch and I had to sit on the girls' table uh, listening once again to them talk on and on and on. I don't mean to be funny, but maybe that's why I'm rebelling against maturity even at this age. I have bad memories. And what's interesting is that for the church in, in Colossae, they were being challenged about their maturity too. It seems when you read the letter that there was a group of people that had infected the church saying, you guys are missing out. There is some special knowledge, special knowledge based loosely around kind of Judaism, but also about this kind of principle that the world is evil, the spiritual is good, kind of a Gnostic thing. And you Special knowledge, you need that to, to, to kind of come close to God and to, to perfect yourselves. And Paul writes to challenge the church that they need to remember where they first started. That maturity doesn't de depend on a human kind of philosophical insight or wisdom. That actually being rooted in Christ and him alone and what he's done is the root to maturity. 
And he encourages the church to not think of themselves as immature, but as mature. Just have a little look with me really quickly. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, verse 6, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Some advice for you as you come to baptism. Don't forget this day. Don't forget what's prompted you to come here. Don't forget what things you've learned that have reached you to the point where you love God, you recognize Jesus as your personal friend and savior, and you want to live for him. Don't forget that. Because life is hard, isn't it, sometimes? And life beats you down sometimes. And people start telling you all kinds of things based on their own ideas of who God is and what life is about. And yet, continue to stay rooted in Christ and you won't go far wrong. That's where maturity begins. It's with the simple stuff. Jeff often says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, that's, that's what he likes to do. And I think that's why he's a good pastor. Um, he doesn't set the pay raise, unfortunately. So, um, and I want to try and challenge you that, that actually it's Jesus that brings maturity. Now, I want to tell you a quick story here, true story. It's not about me. Uh, I'll be pleased to know. There was a minister in America who was a slightly, it seems, immature minister. And there was one question that he dreaded during baptismal preparation. And that question was, will I feel anything, pastor, as I get baptized? Will I feel anything? And he dreaded it because his own baptism, he didn't really feel anything at all. And he had to kind of counsel people. He said, sometimes people do. Sometimes people don't. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not working. Doesn't mean that God doesn't care. But sometimes you don't feel any different at all. Anyway, this one time he had this uh, woman who came out to be baptized and she'd said to him, "Uh, will I feel anything, pastor? And he said, well, you know, sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. Don't worry. You've already come to God. The Spirit's in you. He's enabled you to have faith and all the good stuff like that. Anyway, it came to the moment of baptism and he called her down into the water and he lowered her backwards. And he was shocked as he did it because as she went under the water, her body stiffened, her eyes flashed open and a look that looked like excitement and astonishment. This kind of new look came over her face and he thought, wow. And then he thought, because he was a slightly immature minister, and this is a true story, and it's told by him himself, why didn't that happen to me? I really want what she's got. And he lay there, and well, not lay there, he looked there, she lay there under the water, and just for a moment enjoyed the spectacle, but it raised some questions. And then he lifted her up, and as she came out of the water, he saw that she had assumed a slightly odd position for a baptism, which was like this. She came out of the water, and he realised that he bashed her head on the step as he'd gone down. And it made him realise that maybe the experience he was looking for was not actually the most important thing after all. Don't worry, you have lots of headroom. Lots of headroom. It's probably best not to tell that story at a baptism, actually. Note to self. But why baptise? Well, baptism, as I said, although it's not about saying I've arrived, baptism does a lot of things about Jesus, and Jesus brings maturity. Just have a little look at an amazing passage with me here. Just have a look. Uh, Verse 9, Colossians 2, verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Why does Paul write it? He writes it because some of the Christians are thinking we haven't quite achieved fullness. We haven't quite achieved maturity. There's this special knowledge out there that we need to draw close to God. And Paul says, no, you have. Jesus has done everything you need. You have achieved maturity in everything that God has called you to do. Once you come to realize your need of God and a personal saviour, 
Jesus will, will bring about the rest. That's where maturity comes from. It then carries on that maturity is about, as you can read through in verse 11, that the sinful side of you, this part that, that used to keep pulling you astray, Jesus has dealt with. It's not saying you're going to be perfect from now on, but the Bible says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. When you're tempted, he will always provide a way out. Those two things together mean that when we face temptation, when we call on the strength of God, we can escape. Some good advice for you is to remember those two passages. Um, that's what I remember. Resist the devil, he'll flee. God, when I'm tempted, will give me a way out. Not too bad, you know. Um, ultimately, the best passage, though, while you are still sinners, Christ died for us to bring you back to God. Because sadly, there is often a third choice that I take. But fullness and maturity is all about Jesus. Why are we being baptised today? Well, I'll tell you guys as a church, and I want to encourage you all, especially if you're here and you've never seen a baptism before. Just have a look with me, verse 12. Have a look with me, verse 12. Having been buried with Jesus in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ, verse 13. Why are we being baptised? We are modelling publicly and in a very clear way what has already happened to I said, the old way I want to live, the way that kept going down those roads that just led me nowhere, the way where I tried myself to, to justify myself, to be good enough somehow for God, I'm done with that. I want a new one. I want to put that to death. And we do that by, by giving that to Jesus. So when he dies, that sinful side of us is done. And what we're saying is, Jesus, if you take that bit, I want to be raised with you, this new life. I want you to be king, lord, leader. Show me how to live. Enable me to live right with God. That's what we're doing today. That's why baptism and maturity in Christ is all about Jesus. That's why Scott has already testified. Needed a saviour. You know, wanted someone to lead me. That's what I want to do. That's what she wants to tell you guys. And I want to challenge you. For all the questions and doubts you may have, you've just heard a young lady say, I've experienced a living God. What better proof is there of a living God? In, in a world where our young people get kind of told off in the newspapers all the time for being no good. You've just heard a young lady say she loves God. What a challenge. What a challenge this evening. If you're sat here going, I'm not sure if there is a God at all. Well, she's said that God's at work in her life. Who am I to question it? I want to encourage you guys to think through your position with God today. And it may be that you've got quite a full life, that you've got everything you enjoy and need. I want to try and tell you guys that true maturity, true fullness of life is only found when you live as God created you to live, which is as one of his children as part of his family, as someone living for his glory. That's, that's what this life's about. And that comes to what Jesus has done. So lastly then, lastly, maturity equals freedom. I realised something. When I was dating Faye Wiggett, I was not mature. I had no freedom. And it came to a, a fairly crunch point in our relationship, fairly late on, about day four, where, um, <laughs> hey, year six, you know, that's a serious relationship. Um, this was before Facebook, too. So, you know, we were actually dating rather than just changing our status. I know what you kids are like. Um, and there was a point where I realised that I had no freedom. I couldn't do what I wanted. And there was this moment where Faye Wiggett said to my friends, he's too mature today. He can't play football with you. And I said, Faye, can I play football, please? And, uh, and, and she said, if you play football, it's either football and I wish she said at that point, or Faye, because that would have like, really worked well. But she said, it's either football or me. And I thought for a moment, and I thought, football. And she said, you're so immature, 
and then went out with a year five, which seemed to make no sense to me. If I was immature, why would you date the year below? However, before you think this is a pointless story, something had changed. Because as I walked across to play football with my friends, they looked at me different because I was no longer Paddy Harris, year six, slightly obese footballer. I was Paddy Harris, who had almost kissed a girl on the cheek, Harris. I suddenly became the oracle of all things relationships and wisdom, and I enjoyed a newfound freedom with my friends to basically demand their sandwiches from them for the swap of my cheap Asda crisps. You may wonder, where are you going with this? Let me get serious for a second. Just have a look at this glorious passage, verse 13 to 15. For this is what she now enjoys as a believer in God. Have a look with me. Once you were dead in your sins, you had this sinful nature hanging over you. Over you. you couldn't avoid sinning. That was, that was the way that you'd been infected by the way the world went. And yet now, God has made you alive with Christ. When you look forward to an eternal future, it's one of life and joy, both in this life and the next. Troubles may come in this life, but one day God will wipe away all tears with a body that's restored and beautiful and perfect, more glorious than you could ever imagine. That's the hope we have. God has made you alive with Christ, that once you were dead in your sins, that you had no hope, and now you have a hope for the future. Keep looking with me. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He forgave all our sins and cancelled the law that was against us. Guys, today, this is the challenge. However hard you've tried, you are not perfect. And God's standard is perfection, and yet God gives it as a gift through Jesus, because Jesus lived perfectly. And he died while perfect, but was punished unfairly because of what you and I did. And he did it willingly. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what is claiming for herself. As she comes out of water where you can't breathe into new life, where you breathe fresh, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And for some of us who have been Christians for a long time, we have forgotten the privilege of what it means to follow God. That we've been made alive with Christ. And we keep going down these old dead ends that we know lead to death, and yet for some reason give a short-term pleasure. Guys, let's get serious about this. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't end there. Keep writing that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing to the cross. Verse 15, he disarmed the powers and authorities that were against us. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Why? Because he's scared to death of Jesus. Because Jesus went to death, and although he was scared, he took it, and he took it on our behalf. Resist the devil, he'll flee, because he knows that once Jesus got his hold on you, he can't touch you. You're sealed and marked for all time. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. He made it a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them at the cross. What other freedoms do we enjoy at the cross? Well, let's think about it. No more fear of death. No more fear of not being good enough for God anymore. No more fear that somehow I have to earn my way to heaven and be made perfect by what I do. A fear that is given to me as a gift. That's the joy of what it means to follow God. No more worrying about what might come after death. A sure and certain hope for future resurrection. That is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. What else? Have a look. I mean, you can read about it in, in chapter 1, the supremacy of Christ. He is the head of the church. He holds all things together. You get to know the God who spoke the universe into action. What great a privilege to know that that God who, who can design and create and speak universes into action knows you by name. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows the days out before you because he has them in his hand. I don't know about you. Suddenly, if you're not living for God, it seems like you might be missing out on something. And not in a kind of judgmental way, but this is what you were made to do. To be enjoyed by the creator and enjoy him forever. For you Christians that have done this for a long time, let's not forget this. Keep looking, you know, as it goes through. No more fear of what the world says. Let's just have a quick look. Verse 16. Do not let anyone judge you for what you eat or drink. This is the, the kind of little heresy coming in again. You need to be more Jewish. You need to be more like this. Don't eat that. The world is evil. God defines who you are. God says 
that you're my child. God says to you guys who have accepted Jesus as your friend and saviour, you are mine. Let no one tell you that you're no good. I tell you that, that, that Jesus was good enough. And when I look at you, I see his perfection. When I look at you, I see my craftsmanship. That's what God's about. That's why being baptised today, she's recognised that for herself. It means that no longer do we think about my maturity. It means that we open ourselves up to a God who makes us mature, who gives us all good things. And that's what this is about. And I want to challenge you, as I said at the start, guys, if you haven't been baptised, if you don't yet know God as your personal friend and saviour, why would you wait? I understand there are doubts and questions. I understand that. I've been there. I lead a church. You'd be amazed at how many doubts and questions I still have. Actually, you wouldn't be amazed. I'd probably tell you all about them every time I preach. But, but you've heard someone testify. Look around at the church. You can see other people that have done the same. I'm telling you that a historical event, Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And however much we want to disprove that, well, the, the history of the world says it happened. I want to try and tell you that the reason we're sat here as a church today is that over centuries and through the history, God's disciples faithfully testified to each other that this was true. That the very fact we sit here in it as a, a people in the UK, having heard a message from kind of Jerusalem in that way, means that God was working through history and time to bring us here today. You know, there's a point where I'm going to challenge you and say, what more do you need to know? What more do you need to know? For you Christians that have done it and are thinking somehow, I'll wait till I'm mature. Well, you know, I want to try and tell you that baptism is very much a first step. It's not a cannonball step, but it's a first step of saying, God, I open myself up to you and through the work of the Spirit, I, I pray that you change me and transform me. And I want to encourage you to do it. I know it's scary giving a testimony. Herself said, I was terrified of giving a testimony. It wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. Not bad at all. Suddenly, God's at work. Lastly, if you're a Christian and you've been doing this for a long time, guys, pray for our young people. It's been, a, I know, an effort of prayer through the family to get here today. Um, not as in here today, to this point in history in her life. You know, and, and I just testify to the love that you can see in her family and friends. So guys, Colossians is good news. God wants to bring you to, to fullness in him. That means knowing who you are in Christ, of allowing Jesus to, to do a good work and transform your heart. And uh, that's what I want to say.